0: No 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 no
1: no no son no no
2: I've fucking
0: been there. Maze you better fire it up dude
2: Shut your mouth you're not God or my father or my boss! Drive your fucking Wally They laugh in New York and they they laugh in San Francisco But they will not be laughing when the mouth of hell opens up and something The whole world is in the power of the evil one devil and the media that he uses to control the world is television
1: Dings Network, a nuanced discussion about television that captures our imaginations. I'm your host, Anthony Mays, and today I'm joined by Jake Hoy and Eden Liu. This week, we're the man, and Mesa Verde is the horse. For Better Call Saul, episode four, Namaste, with a three. Our cold open this week, once again, an opening shot of bells above an antique shop door. Count the dings, <laughs> really brand is strong. With Saul this year. Got Jimmy checking out some trophies. He's swinging a small TV like a free weight. Then a montage ensues and he finally settles on a bowling ball, gets three for $75, and we're back to the Bells with our closing shot. Not the greatest cold open of the season, but
0: solid as usual. Well, it's like, takes you back to the Breaking Bad days, right? Where it's like, give you something you can't begin to fathom how it relates to the story. You know, it's, you're completely out of context. You don't know what the hell he's doing. You can't come up with a good reason, you know, because you're like, why is he lifting everything? Why is he pretending to maybe throw everything? Is he, is he looking for inexpensive weights?
1: Yeah. It looked like he was maybe trying to get his own workout montage going, his workout (laughs) plan. Do a little free weights in his, well, he hasn't gotten an office yet, but just stay in shape during his busy days. Well, that was the funny thing, because at first you're thinking, oh, he's going to decorate the office. And the best part is that it's out
0: of sequence chronologically. So it's extra confusing. Well, that's the thing, right? And that's what Breaking Bad used to do. Um, And I think I feel like often in Breaking Bad, whether it was like the season open or an episode open, the reveal, the punch wouldn't come until the end.
1: And the extreme version of that was season two, which opened with all those shots of the pool and right. wasn't explained the, until the very end of the season.
0: The plane crash, which you're immediately assuming is the devastation or the arrest of Walt and family, right? Right. So- <laughs> it was a misdirect in that sense. Fantastic. This was more of a uh, a comedic punchline, but a, but a sad one. So this was a heavy...
1: Jimmy and Kim episode, we start with a slow drip from an overturned beer bottle, the wreckage of Kim and Jimmy's debauchery at the end of last episode. They're naked in bed, extremely hungover. There's a tough teeth brushing session that was very relatable, just that struggle. (laughs) It seems that that is confirmation, at least as much as we'll get in the show, of some physical chemistry, some lovemaking between the two. Yep. And so like we talked about last episode, it it really ended on a strong note for them and their relationship. Jimmy is having lunch with Howard, and Kim says, yesterday was bad, today I'm going to fix it. Real, short, and blunt and to the point. And Kim feels bad about the night before, even though Jimmy says to let the <laughs> apartment take care of it. Kim sweeps up the shattered beer bottles while on her Bluetooth making calls.
0: You know what I found interesting, though? About that moment. With Kim? Yeah, was that she led him to believe she was taken off. Yeah, she doubled back. She doubled back. She'd already made that decision, but she didn't share that with him. So that moral compass that she has, that he no longer has, um, is something she's kind of obscuring in that moment.
1: Jimmy's in jail with the 50% off, boys. He explains their situation and runs through their antics. It reminded me of the excellent scene from Hunt for the Wilder People where we learn all of Ricky's crimes as a youth.
2: Now, uh, obviously, we've got a couple of things to talk through, Bella. Clearly, you've been briefed about his uh, background and also his foster care history. Apparently, he's a bit of a handful. Real bad egg. I mean, if you look in his file, you'll see that for yourself. We're talking disobedience, stealing, spitting... Running away, throwing rocks, kicking stuff, defacing stuff, burning stuff, loitering, and graffiti. And that's just the stuff we know about.
1: Saul got them down from five years to five months, but the boys don't want to pay their discounted rate of (laughs) $4,000. Saul makes a scene, the boys are convinced, and they will have a grandmother pay their tab. Another sad detail. Good payoff with with these guys to finally get the the full breadth of their madness. There it was. Jimmy meets Howard for lunch where he's talking to Judge Lawler. Howard orders the soul. He's a creature of habit. He seems to get it every time. Howard asks Jimmy about Saul, teeing him up for an amazing delusional monologue.
2: (laughs) Saul Goodman is uh he's the last line of defense for the little guy. Are you getting sold down the river? He's a life raft. Are you getting stepped on? He's a sharp stick. You got Goliath on your back. Saul's the guy with the slingshot. He's a writer of wrongs. He's a friend to the friendless. That's Saul Goodman. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> so great.
1: Howard is apparently remorseful, says he did Jimmy wrong, but Saul's not buying it. Howard is offering Jimmy a job, mentions the great Christie Esposito moment from last season, which was Jimmy's breaking point. Howard is really pushing it. He calls him Charlie Hustle to the point where Jimmy is actually considering it. And then Howard, not afraid of the coronavirus, brings him in for the full handshake hug (laughs) and drives off with his license plate. Namaste with a three. Yeah. What did you make of Howard in this scene, Jake? Were you buying it? What is this? motivation for howard to try to redeem himself i
0: didn't understand i wasn't into it it's interesting because on the one hand i was like you forget how great this guy is (laughs) this guy owns this character you know oh yeah
1: the actor he's
0: fantastic it's, it's like tremendous to watch him work he's just so perfect um but then i felt like the thing is you're, you're you're wondering the whole time, and I, I think you're supposed to because you're in Jimmy's head watching this presentation, right? But by the end of it, you're like, no, he's, he's turned a corner. He's processed whatever he needed to process. He got through that dark time, and he's come out on the other side, and he realizes his own mistakes along the way where – Maybe he's overselling his belief in Jimmy. But I felt it was a genuine turn on his part.
1: He's trying way too hard for it to not be sincere. Right. But it's baffling to me, I suppose, because... Is this what Jimmy would have wanted all his life up to this point before he became Saul? Is this what Jimmy was looking for? Yes. It's the show teasing... The alternate outcome that we all know doesn't happen yes which is jimmy becoming a stand-up lawyer for a real firm and it seemed too little too late to me and uh, the line when he said no that was between you and chuck right it was all a chuck thing because we knew that jimmy never had any chance of taking mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. presenting it was a curveball of sorts.
0: I think it reminds you of the dynamic that Howard had with Chuck as well, which was, you know, Chuck was a kind of father figure, mentor, leader, right? So in many ways, he was as subservient to Chuck as Jimmy was. And it was never his call to make. I mean, he says he could have fought for it, but... He probably couldn't have. You know what I mean? Um, And as much as he wishes he could have, in this moment, those parameters weren't available at the time. Um, So I feel like Howard's always been a shmarmy guy. He's never going to shed that skin entirely. But he seems to be at peace, and that seems to be what drives Jimmy our soul whoever's doing the, the ball throw um <laughs> crazy you know
1: so kim is in a meeting with Paige and kevin from mesa verde Paige is saying the call center development is going great and kim has to interject kim is trying to switch to a different lot in hopes of protecting acker somehow and kevin easily steamrolls her and they plan to remove acker with a sheriff so in light of our little debate conversation last week about Kim's intentions. Mm-hmm. What did this subsequent scene clarify for you on where she stands?
0: Just the conflict. You know, she can't shake the conflict of the work she wants to do with the work she's having to do to support herself.
1: She seems to feel guilty about Acker.
0: Big time. And he takes time. it personally. Yeah
1: even though her failure to get him out amicably seemed to have no effect on the timeline of the development.
0: What's interesting is, I mean, she's obviously not the sheriff. She's not there to get him out per se, forcibly. She's, she's there to cut a deal. So if, he, if he's so stubborn, um, as stubborn as Saul, <laughs> um, you know, there's nothing she can do. But she wants to do the right thing because she feels this tremendous guilt. I mean, that's, that's kind of her whole character, right, throughout the show. Nothing is clean.
1: Trying to do the right thing and bearing the burden on herself.
0: Yeah, I mean, law's an ugly business, as Jimmy says. But she's always trying to do it with this internal compass and a, and a kind of code of ethics. So Kim
1: goes to see Saul in court. Saul is cross-examining a witness who was robbed during a 12-hour shift at a bodega. Mm. When he asked the witness to identify the robber, Saul had planted his witness in the crowd and used a look-alike hijinks. Saul secures the mistrial. Kim kind of likes it, but she's pretty shook up, and is coming to Jimmy for help with Tukumkari. Kim sends Saul to Mr. Acker, and despite Mr. Acker stonewalling him, Saul convinces him with a photo of a man fucking a horse. Visual aids! Hijinks! And then the stinger is Jimmy puts on his gloves and takes the cold-open bowling balls out of his car to Apex Twin playing. And after an initial test shot that misses, Jimmy fucks up Howard's Namaste Jaguar with two impressive drop shots. <laughs> Really impressive. So we've got Kim bringing Saul in to the Mesa Verde mess, which seems like a really bad move. Yeah.
0: Yeah, really ill-advised, too. Do people at Mesa Verde not know who Jimmy is? People at Mesa Verde may not, but people at her law firm do. Mm. Remember, like, the whole ski trip debacle? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Right? So he's well-acquainted. So as soon as he lays eyes on him, it's going to be an issue, I would think. Um, But I'm not sure those folks at Mesa Verde have any idea.
1: Well, they're about to find out, it seems like. (laughs) It seems like
0: a lunatic idea. I kept thinking about the idea of deception in this episode, that deception was at play at every turn, you know, Um, and that everybody's engaging in some kind of deception. Now, Saul is going to— be relying on deception down the road entirely and he's always engaged in acts of deception but he you know the thing about that speech he gave you could say that that was his vision for who Jimmy McGill as a lawyer was
1: it could be that or it could be his delusion of Saul Goodman as the hero
0: maybe but I felt like when he was doing the um uh, the class action suit for the senior sandpiper. The sandpiper. You know, yes, it was a money win, but he was really nice to those people. Remember, like he had Absolutely. this remarkable relationship, and he was thriving out of that relationship. And he had ideas to be the good lawyer, right? Be the effective lawyer. Be the champion for the underdog. Um, whereas with Saul he's maybe saying that at a luncheon with Howard but you know to drum up business he's he's hosting a midnight session under a tent for like local truck dealers and other <laughs> wayward folks in the community you know and as 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 Kim reminds him you know are you not just encouraging him <laughs> to engage in criminal activity so He knows what he's doing. He
1: does, but in order to believe in it and do it, I think he has to think that he's doing good. Even though he is. You think so? The devil's advocate most of the time. You think so? I think that kind of rings true to the Breaking Bad character. I don't think that Saul in Breaking Bad was gleefully evil. No, I don't think he's evil. He just treated everything like a problem that he tried to solve and improve the scenario from his end.
0: Yeah, I guess I think of Saul by that point as fully accepting that his effectiveness is helping the criminal world deal with the legal process in whatever form that takes. You know what I mean? And he knows a guy who knows a guy, right, for every situation.
1: Well, how would you compare him to the lawyer from The Wire? That guy seemed more corrupt. Avon's lawyer. Oh, that guy.
0: Yes, I do. Yeah. Now
1: yes. So he seems more evil and corrupt. He's more in it for just pure money. That guy's like a mafia lawyer. Exactly. And Saul, I think, is more just enjoys the chicanery of law and winning.
0: I, maybe I'm anticipating too much, you know, and instead of staying in the moment of the story. Um, but I feel like Saul, in this repudiation of his past, is also kind of just angry at the world, you know, that it didn't turn out the way he thought it was going to be. And so he's just going to lean into what has always worked for him him which is this crazy charm but that like in the scene in the, court, in the courthouse yeah he's a con man like he he pulls hijinks that aren't acceptable in that space and it it results in a mistrial but you know the uh, the, the far-reaching ramifications are probably terrible for him in that community The judge is never, you know, she's always going to have a negative opinion of him. But
1: that was a win for him. He was very pleased with that. In the moment, yeah. So
0: you're saying it's a lack of foresight. It's a recklessness that he's always had, right? And a a self-destructive impulse that I think he's, it's a kind of breaking bad scenario. Like he's just leaning in to his negative potential because he's never been successful, truly successful with his positive potential, I guess is how I look at it. I mean, Saul doesn't really, I mean, not Jimmy, Saul doesn't really like people. Like, Did you feel like in Breaking Bad that he liked anybody or everything was transactional? See, I because I viewed him as a transactional character that didn't mean he wasn't entertaining.
1: Yeah, it's it is very transactional. He likes the film crew, but they're a weapon of destruction. He likes Huel, but he has skills, but he works for him. He liked he loved Chuck despite everything, but they were family, and that's Jimmy, and he and now that's gone. And then he loves Kim and he likes Kim. Yes. But that's basically family. That's tenuous. And she's gone. So that's why I think that because I can never remember how old he's supposed to be.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I
1: think that in Saul, we get the dose of humanity. And then by the end of it, he's not going to have anything left. So, yeah, I agree. In Breaking Bad, he doesn't have any connections left.
0: Yeah, we never see anything. I mean, the, the person he's closest to really is his secretary.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. I forgot about her. Remember?
0: Yeah, she'll be back.
1: <laughs>
0: that I guess that's, you know, kind of reading forward as well as reading between the lines in, in this episode. Because here's the thing. I mean, there's no other way to read Howard's gesture as anything but sincere by the end of it. But it stirs some kind of long-standing resentment in him. He's always
1: hated Howard. Always hated Howard. Well,
0: and I think
1: because
0: Howard is kind of the surrogate. He's the good version of Jimmy to Chuck. He's Chuck's mentee. You know, he's Chuck's... Golden boy. Pride and joy at the company. You know, he's everything Jimmy can't be for Chuck.
1: Interesting. I guess I just didn't see what Howard had to gain from bringing him back. And that's what confused me about it. Well, two things. Is it just
0: m- removal more, of guilt?
1: Yeah, it's just guilt. It's just <laughs> right? more guilt,
0: which is a big theme. It's possible that's the only thing. However, Howard's a pretty, as we learned through this show, serious businessman. You know, he runs the business side of that law firm. Or so that was always my understanding of it, right? Chuck was the genius legal mind who would take on the big cases, but he wasn't schmoozing around town.
1: Howard's the dude securing fundraisers and totally big contracts and yeah, big smile
0: and which which you which is how you see him in this episode, right? The first thing you see is he's like schmoozing at the restaurant and introduces Jimmy. <laughs> Saul is just got that rage inside of him that expels itself in that final moment of the show what can come of it nothing he's not even taking credit for it he's just shitting on howard i enjoyed it (laughs) you hate howard i guess i think i do well he's it's the schmarm that he does so well
1: oh i respect i
0: respect the actor but i hate the character but that's what makes howard such a compelling character on the show. Oh yeah, you feel that he's unlikable from the moment you meet him, and I don't know if it's the the collars, <laughs> you know. He wears the, a lot of stripes, right? The way well, he always has that white collar, right? And then the whatever the shirt is, I feel like he doesn't. He right. is that his yeah, his yeah, style. Yeah. Totally, there's an ego that's he's so comfortable in that's so present that makes you you know, uncomfortable with him. But in this episode, he shed all of that. Like right away, as soon as he sits down at the table, he's chatting with Jimmy in the most genuine way. Tell me about, he's not even dismissing the Saul Goodman thing. Tell me about him. Who is he? I mean, which is great in a meta perspective, right? That little moment was kind of beautiful, I thought. I mean, it's it might be... It, could be read as trite, but I thought it was so simply delivered that it was kind of this beautiful little thing. And and you see Jimmy slash Saul trying to come up on the spot with a good response because he really hasn't worked it out yet or he hasn't found out yet because <laughs> not all of it may be in his control.
1: episode was balanced nicely with a pretty tense, thrilling sequence where Gus is sitting silently in his office at Los Pollos Hermanos. One of the employees, Deshaun, left the fryer uncovered. And so Gus takes out his frustrations on the eager to please Lyle, the manager, making him repeatedly scrub the fryer's. This is being cross-cut with an incredible... Banter-filled Hank and Gomez stakeout out at the dead drop. They're bantering about the etymology of majestic culverts. <laughs> Hank calls Gomez Ansel Adams, which is the wrong type of photography, but Hank's just thrown out a famous photographer. I'll let it slide. <laughs> that was funny. Then Hank says, like your mom on date night. And Gomez says, like your left hand every night. The boys are back. So great. Car chase ensues. So great. Hank says, gotta skate to where the puck's gonna be.
0: <laughs> As he <laughs> goes it. to cut him Love off. Yeah.
1: The driver manages to lose Hank and Gomez in the desert after dropping the money in a tunnel. And he gets picked up by Victor. Gomez thinks they got a good haul, but Hank wants to chase bigger fish upstream. So he's not totally pleased, but then he shakes it off. Gives a rousing pep talk. We're all going out for drinks later. Good job, team. And then Gus sitting in his dimly lit office finally gets the call. He gets the all clear from Victor. So he just rips up the phone yeah. <laughs> and then sends Lyle home. Lyle asks, but is it clean? Mr. Fring and Gus <laughs> says it is acceptable.
0: <laughs> so here again, all the, all this theme of deception for me was playing out across all of this too. Cause you've got Gus, pretending to be a, you know, the chicken man in the back room, right? But dealing with all of the stress of this drug situation that he's in, right? And then even to a point, you've got Hank totally bummed that they didn't come away with what they really wanted to come away with. So he has to like... rouse the spirits and give that pep talk which he's like this is a fucking joke this was an utter failure right yep so good we did not come close to what we wanted to do so he has to pretend that they did something good which ostensibly they did but nowhere near the kind of thing that would have been truly effective in terms of what their job is
1: so I liked all that. Well, it all went according to Gus's plan. Right. With the known accepted losses that they already had to account for. Right. But Hank seems like a fun boss, and Gus, <laughs> albeit a ruthlessly efficient manager, uh, does not seem like a fun person to work for. <laughs> Poor Lyle, dude. Hope Lyle went home. Poor Lyle. Ripped the bong. Poor Lyle. But I felt for his fingers with the steel wool on Big the time. steel. Pink time. That
0: looked rough. That whole run was tremendous. Even though you're like, there's not really, the stakes aren't that high, you know, right? From from a, a story perspective. And so, you know, you're not like, you don't even know the guy that's doing the drop. It built a lot of tension. But you were worried that Gus was going to unload on Lyle. Is he going to kill him? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you feel that way? A little bit. Like, is he just gonna kill him? That's how I felt. Gus
1: is so tightly wound. John Carlo Esposito is so incredible at playing this character. It's
0: mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing.
1: I guess we're always afraid that he's gonna snap, but there's only really, like, that one time in Breaking Bad when he kills someone himself, right? And it's terrifying.
0: Terrifying. I mean, he just builds up that I'm going to explode thing like he's he's standing at the edge and you know, he's at the edge, you know, and you just, you don't want to see it. Mike continues to flourish
1: at rock bottom. He goes to see Stacy on his regular Thursday, but since he never confirmed or responded to any of Stacy's calls or messages, she got a sitter.
0: Yeah. And he's not really in a conciliatory mood either.
1: He's being a huge dick. Stacy says Kaylee already forgot about it, but Stacy's still concerned, and she's being quite reasonable, but it just adds fuel to Mike's smoldering anger. So he goes back to the front yard hoods, the Skells, and he's clearly hunting a fight. These dudes apparently are regulars at 3 (laughs) a.m. in the front yard, reliable. (laughs) (laughs) They follow him again, and despite getting a couple good licks in, they mob him, they kick the shit out of him, and then one of them pulls out a knife and stabs him. And so Mike wakes up in a bed on a sheep farm in the desert. We don't know where it is. Jake, I think you threw out Mexico. (laughs) I just had this feeling of Mexico. (laughs) Could be New Mexico. So it's probably us who did this but we really don't have any clue and my question for you jake is why are we giving mike the dark knight rises treatment why are we throwing him broken in a faraway prison only to rebuild himself and return a new man it's a
0: good question because we know the path he's going to go down right he should be channeling all this self-hatred and and anger into The clean life. (laughs) But like Saul, he's going to lean in to his negative potential. It just seems a bit much.
1: I would have preferred Mike to be more involved with everything else going on. So kind of to isolate him as they have and just turn him into a drunk, bitter man the last two episodes and end up with him
0: miles away from the action. I mean, maybe there's going to be a big payoff and a cool story uh, reveal that comes out of all of this because they're dealing with it. So briefly, you know, like we're just getting these quick scenes with Mike relative to everything else that's going on in the show right now. But I mean, I, I have no, I can't even begin to speculate what what's going to happen. I mean, I, I mean, I'm guessing even in the next episode, it's like, where am I? Can I walk? Let me start walking. <laughs> right? It's an interesting move. I, I I trust them,
1: but it was strange. I mean, the really the the more so than the than the ending. The last two episodes have been strange. Yeah. It's drunk, angry Mike, fucking up. He's taking it hard, dude. They kept most of the plot lines separated this time. We got another no-show from Nacho. We got no Tony Dalton as Lalo. It was a heavy Kim-Jimmy episode. Still very good. The beautiful opening and closing notes with the bowling ball and the namaste license plate. This is Jimmy's form of meditation. <laughs> this is Jimmy's mantra. Yeah. yeah. Fucking shit up. He's Saul Goodman now he's Saul
0: Goodman. And you know, I gotta say, I mean, so I keep thinking back about our conversations about Kim and Jimmy, um, <clears throat> because they did that really interesting, beautiful shot of, um, she, of Kim in the courtroom from behind her head and everybody departs. And then she keeps lingering long after until he comes out of that meeting, you know? Um, And she's there because she's also got deception on her mind, right? She wants him to help her figure a way out of this situation that works for her. Now, simultaneously, she's watching something unfold in the courtroom that she herself would never undertake, right? She can do all that stuff behind the scenes, but she'd never make that part of her image as a lawyer. And she's conflicted about that. I mean, don't you see a kind of distance in the way she's looking at jimmy this season yes
1: but she comes to him in this episode in a really vulnerable way and what's so wild about it is that she's desperately trying to do the right thing even if it means right fucking over her own boss in the a devious way right which is crazy the moral justification of that the gymnastics of that is tough yeah her morals and ethics that tell her that his ways are not good mixed with her fondness for it and her fondness for him and wanting to win they both want to win everybody wants to win that's what the show is about it's about winning that's what breaking bad was about walter wanted to win mm. Gus is so mad in this episode because he's taking a big fat L and he knows he has to. He's pissed. So, Lyle, scrub that fryer again. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that, Reed. Yeah. And the law practice is all about winning. You drink one, drink two, drink three Long
2: Island iced teas. But your buddy's worse off and he throws you his car keys. Blue lights, you're blinking four o'clock in the morning. State trooper makes you wish that you'd never been born. Better call Saul, better call Saul. You want to tell the world you're in love with a girl named Fran? So you find an overpass and you say it with a spray paint can. Blue lights, start a-blink and those handcuffs click. You know who to call and you better call quick. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. he fight for your rights when your back's to the wall. Stick it to the man, just for all. You better call Saul. Shopping at the Walmart short, just a couple of beans There's a George Foreman grill down the back of your blue jeans They caught you at the checkout, the blue light's blink. Only one got a call, cause the others all stink Better call Saul, better call Saul husband disappeared in a most convenient way Now your troubles are gone, his insurance will surely pay You get to the bank but the cops say, whoa, who are you gonna die when they lock you down cold? Saul, Saul, you better call Saul He'll fight for your rights when your back's to the wall Stick it to the man who justice to- trapped in your creepy